Thiessen uh, will be speaking to us on water fluoridation in the 21st century, doing justly in public health. Community water fluoridation is one of the 10 great public health achievements of the 20th century, according to the Centers for Disease Control. Uh, Dr. Coop, former Surgeon General, is quoted as saying fluoridation is the single most important commitment that a community can make to the oral health of its citizens. The American Dental Association supports community water fluoridation as the single most effective public health measure to prevent tooth decay. Uh, two years ago, the Fluoridation Merit Award was presented by the American Dental Association to the Division of Oral Health of the Centers for Disease Control for its work at a national level in support of states and state oral health programs to promote water fluoridation. And finally, the American Dental Association says that community water fluoridation is a powerful strategy to reduce disparities in tooth decay among different populations. Fluoridation of public water supplies has been practiced in the United States since the 1940s. In 2006, about 70% of the U.S. population receives, received fluoridated water. The Centers for Disease Control has a target of 75% by 2010. That's more than 200 million people in the United States. Yet, despite the proven benefits of water fluoridation, both for adults as well as children, formidable barriers continue to impede more widespread adoption of this public health practice, including lack of sufficient personnel at the state level, costs, maintenance, public misperceptions about safety, and political opposition. That's from the Centers for Disease Control. Concerns about water fluoridation date back to its inception. After all, sodium fluoride is a well-known insecticide, an ingredient of many roach powders. This is from a 1928 edition of Chemistry and Medicine. In 1951, in an address to state dental directors, if it is a fact that some individuals are against fluoridation, you have just got to knock their objections down. The question of toxicity is on the same order. Lay off it altogether, just pass it over. We know there is absolutely no effect other than reducing tooth decay, you say and go on. The director of laboratories for the city of New York in 1956 said the fluoridation of public water supplies is a hazardous procedure. People are bound to get hurt. It remains to find out how many and when. Has, this is a quote from Dr. John Coquin, who is um, principal dental officer in Auckland, New Zealand. To my surprise, the dental statistics showed that fewer fillings had been required in the non-fluoridated part of my district than in the fluoridated part. In fact, teeth were slightly better in the non-fluoridated part. This is Dr. Coquin was a former promoter of fluoridation until he looked at the data. The implication for the general public of these risk assessment calculations is clear. Recent peer-reviewed toxicity data for fluoride when applied to EPA's standard method for controlling risks from toxic chemicals require an immediate halt to the use of the nation's drinking water reservoirs as disposal sites for the toxic waste of the phosphate fertilizer industry. 
Dr. Hersey was a, an employee of scientists with the Environmental Protection Agency. He and a number of other EPA scientists would have had fluoride out of the country's water in the 1980s, but they'd been overruled for two decades now. The NTEU is the National Treasury Employees Union, which is a union representing EPA scientists. Uh, Dr. Carton, Dr. Robert Carton, is another former EPA scientist. The ethical validity of fluoridation policy does not stand up to the scrutiny relative to the Nuremberg Code and other codes of medical ethics. From the head of preventive dentistry at the University of Toronto, the evidence has convinced me that the benefits of water fluoridation no longer outweigh the risks. The money saved from halting water fluoridation programs can be more wisely spent on concentrated public health efforts to reduce dental decay in the populations that are still at risk, and this will, at the same time, lower the incidence of harmful side effects that a large segment of the general population is currently experiencing because of this outdated public health measure. Uh, Dr. Leinbeck, again, is a former supporter of fluoridation. And one more, one could argue that fluoride is the most widely used medicine in history. The amount of fluoride that's contained in one cup of tap water in much of the U.S., if you want to get it at the drugstore, requires a prescription. We call upon members of Congress to sponsor a new congressional hearing on fluoridation so that those in government agencies who continue to support the procedure, particularly the Oral Health Division of the CDC, be compelled to provide the scientific basis for their ongoing promotion of fluoridation. We call upon all medical and dental professionals, members of water departments, local officials, public health organizations, environmental groups, and the media to examine for themselves the new documentation that fluoridated water is ineffective and poses serious health risks. It is no longer acceptable to simply rely on endorsements from agencies that continue to ignore the large body of scientific evidence on this matter. This is from a, a petition to Congress that came out last summer. At the time, the abstract was submitted for your book. It says 1,200 people had signed it. This is closer to 1,800 now. Most of the signers of this are scientific or medical or dental professionals. Even among supporters of fluoridation, there have always been equivocal statements. The American Medical Association is not prepared to state that no harm will be done to any person by water fluoridation. This is from a letter on AMA stationery endorsing water fluoridation. From a current fluoride researcher at the University of Iowa, fluoride is much better than not having it, but we cannot prove it's safe. For the past 50 years, community water fluoridation has been considered the most cost-effective measure for the control of caries at the community level. However, it is now accepted that systemic, that is, ingested fluoride, plays a limited role in caries prevention. Several epidemiologic studies conducted in fluoridated and non-fluoridated communities clearly indicated that community water fluoridation may be unnecessary for caries prevention, particularly in the industrialized countries where the caries level has become low. Moreover, the evidence of an increased prevalence of fluorosis, particularly in fluoridated areas, needs to be considered. This is from an Italian group that assumes that fluoride is good for you and continues to promote it, but they're not sure it still needs to be in our water. And from the CDC, it is not CDC's responsibility to determine what levels of fluoride in water are safe. 
In 2006, the U.S. National Research Council issued a report on fluoride toxicology in response to the Environmental Protection Agency's request for a routine periodic review of the drinking water standard for fluoride. They do this regularly for all kinds of chemicals. The drinking water standards govern the maximum amounts of various contaminants that are permitted in public drinking water supplies. In our conclusion, I was a member of this committee, our conclusion was that in light of the collective evidence on various health endpoints and total exposure to fluoride, the committee concludes that EPA's maximum contaminant level goal, goal the drinking water standard of four milligrams per liter, should be lowered. The National Research Council did not try to identify a level of fluoride in drinking water that would be protective. We did not propose a new standard for fluoride in drinking water. It's important to know that the EPA also has a pesticide based on the same drinking water standard. So if the drinking water standard is not protective, the pesticide standard is not protective either. To date, EPA's response has been to name Dow AgroSciences to give them a award for the development of this fluoride-containing pesticide as an alternative to, an, to a pesticide that adversely affects the ozone layer. In more than two years since the National Research Council's report came out, EPA has not made any change to the drinking water standard. Other organizations, CDC says that the National Research Council's finding is consistent with the CDC's assessment that water is fluoride and water is safe and healthy at the levels used for water fluoridation. The American Dental Association, the NRC report, in no way uh, examines or calls into question the safety of community water fluoridation, which is a process of adding fluoride to public water supplies to reach an optimal level of 0.7 to 1.2 parts per million in order to protect people against tooth decay. So is 4 milligrams per liter really that much higher than 0.7 to 1.2? This is uh, the distribution of tap water intake in the United States translated into what that means in terms of the fluoride intake. The, the one on the left, the, the solid line is at one part per million, one milligram per liter. The other one is at four. And the horizontal lines show you that range. There's, there's very little difference from a risk assessment standpoint between four milligrams per liter in water and one milligram per liter in water, especially if you consider fluoride intake from all sources. This is just from tap water. This does not include bottled soft drinks. This does not include toothpaste, some other sources. So from a risk assessment standpoint, if four milligrams per liter is not safe, one milligram per liter is not likely to be safe. The drinking water standards are required to be set based on, this is quoting from EPA, a level at which no known or anticipated adverse effects on the health of persons occurs and which allows an adequate margin of safety. Such a level of for fluoride is going, it has to be below four milligrams per liter if the National Research Council is correct. Many of us would tell you, and much of the information is in this report, to say that it's a safe level would mean no, no more fluoridation. It's below the levels currently used for water fluoridation. The American Dental Association has very quietly acknowledged that fluoridated public water, if used in infant formula, can lead to dental fluorosis in a child's permanent teeth. And they have said publicly but quietly that infant formula can be mixed with water that is fluoride-free or contains low, level of, low levels of fluoride to reduce the risk of fluorosis. Dental fluorosis or mottled enamel 
results from overexposure to fluoride during the period of formation of the, of the permanent teeth from birth to approximately age six or so. Especially during infancy, but even throughout childhood, the fluid intake per unit body weight is very high. If a child is fed formula that's made with fluoridated water, the fluoride intake can be substantial. The American Dental Association also states that enamel fluorosis is not a disease, but rather affects the way that teeth look. The ones on the left would be considered mild fluorosis. The ones on the right would be considered moderate fluorosis. I don't have severe fluorosis on here. It gets worse. Um, the National Research Council concluded that severe dental fluorosis is an adverse health effect due to a, li a higher likelihood of caries or cavities. The cosmetic aspects of dental fluorosis are generally considered undesirable. Is this how you want your child's teeth to look? In addition, a number of published papers show an association between dental fluorosis and increased risk of other health effects, including skeletal fluorosis, uh, bone and joint pain, increased likelihood of bone fracture or weaker bones, kidney impairment, endocrine effects, reduced IQ. The occurrence of dental fluorosis may represent a higher individual susceptibility to effects of systemic fluoride intake, as well as high exposure during childhood. There have been no thorough studies in the U.S. of dental fluorosis and possible associations with other effects. So there are two fundamental questions. Is, is community water fluoridation beneficial? Is community water fluoridation safe? Regarding the effectiveness of water fluoridation, this is a quote from a, a major report from the United Kingdom in 2000. Given the level of interest surrounding the issue of public water fluoridation, it is surprising to find that little high-quality research has been undertaken. The apparent benefit, according to the York report, is about 15%, about typically a, a fraction of a, of, of a cavity for children in this country. Um, the studies, in general, do not account for socioeconomic status. They do not account for sugar consumption or for the effect of fluoride in causing delayed tooth eruption. Also, in most cases, the studies are not conducted blind. The examiner knows where the child lives that he's examining. It is the case that caries rates have declined over time in fluoridated countries. That's the U.S. in red, Australia, New Zealand, and Ireland in blue. Uh, these are data from the World Health Organization for Decayed, Missing, and Failed Permanent Teeth in 12-Year-Olds. However, caries rates have declined just as much in countries that don't fluoridate. Here the red ones are fluoridated, the blue ones are not fluoridated. And you notice also from this, and you can see it in other studies, comparisons of states or cities, if you pick your two comparisons carefully, you can show anything you want. Referring to the findings in the York report, water fluoridation aims to reduce social inequalities in dental health, but few relevant studies exist. The quality of research was even lower than that assessing overall effects of fluoridation. And evidence relating to reducing inequalities in dental health was both scanty and unreliable. Let's look at some recent data by state on children's oral health. This is from the Health Resources and Services Administration. This is children with excellent or very good teeth as reported by their parents in comparison by state with the percentage of the children in poverty, data from the Census Bureau. And you see a pretty good effect of, uh, 
of, of dental health and socioeconomic situations. As, to, as you have more children in poverty, you have a lower level of dental health. If you plot the same data on children's teeth against the percentage of the population that's fluoridated in each state, you get no relationship. If you t take the data on children's oral health and separate it, the blue ones are children who are living at at least four times the poverty level. The red ones are below the poverty level. You see a clear effect from the socioeconomic conditions and no effect of fluoridation. It is not helping the low socioeconomic kids to have better teeth. There are many other studies out there. This is a selection, obviously. In fact, what you get is better correlations between the percentage of the population that's fluoridated and several negative effects. The percentage of adults who have lost all their teeth increases the more you have fluoridation. Health ranking goes down with fluoridation. Obesity goes up with fluoridation. I will say these correlations look even better if you plot them against economic variables on the x-axis. But you don't, you get a, a better association between fluoridation and these negative variables than you do with fluoridation and, and oral health in children. So is community water fluoridation beneficial? At best, the evidence for it is poor. Is it safe? The last set of graphs suggests it might not be. We've all been told about the exhaustive studies that demonstrated that there were no adverse health effects of fluoridation. There were two major sets of studies in the early days of fluoridation that have been used to support the safety of the practice and certainly many more since. One in New York, one in Texas. Let me read for you some of the discussion at a meeting of the Technical Advisory Committee for the Kingston-Newburgh study in New York in 1944. The study proposed to fluoridate the town of Newburgh, New York, not Oregon, and make comparisons with the non-fluoridated town of Kingston. Dr. David Ast of the New York Department of Health, in those areas of endemic fluorosis which have been studied, there have been no observed defects other than mottled enamel. It's true that there have not been studies made of any defects other than mottled enamel. Um, uh, Dr. Caffey, who's a radiologist involved in this committee, asking Dr. Ast, what are the manifestations of intoxication in the early stages of dental fluorosis? Doctor asked, a chalky white spot on the teeth. Doctor Caffey, I mean in other parts of the body than the teeth. There have been no other manifestations reported. Have there been any urinary changes reported in children from fluorine intoxication? Not to my knowledge, but Doctor Dean may be able to answer that. Doctor Trenley Dean, senior dental surgeon from the National Institute of Health, we have looked at nothing but teeth. Dr. Levine, pediatrician from New York City, would you agree with that, that as a start, the Kingston-Newburgh project is contemplated as a perfectly safe procedure from a public health point of view? Dr. Dean, I don't think so. Dr. Dean had studied the teeth, and that's all he had studied. This is in 1944. In January 1945, fluoridation was begun in Grand Rapids, Michigan, still with no studies of anything other than teeth, and Dr. Dean had signed off. And there was no plans to examine the Grand Rapids population for anything other than dental effects. Fluoridation was started in Newburgh, New York in May 1945. The Kingston-Newburgh study was developed as a demonstration of the benefits, not as an experimental study to see if there were any adverse health effects. The, of the 
several things that, that were known at the time. Essentially, none of them were studied. There were some findings that showed an increase in, in bone defects similar to what's seen in osteosarcoma. Uh, there were some others that suggested earlier onset of puberty in girls. And this has been seen in only one other study that's ever looked for. But that has an, carries with it an increased risk of, of breast cancer later in life. The other study, the Bartlett Cameron study in Texas, the high fluoride town was defluoridated 18 months before the study was done. So essentially they were comparing a control group and a study group that had no difference, except in the deaths that had already occurred, and there was a statistically significant difference there. The absence of good studies showing adverse health effects, and that's what we're often told there is, is not the same as good studies showing the absence of health effects. We do not have good studies showing the absence of health effects. We have a lot of studies of varying degrees of quality showing adverse health effects. But a lot of these, the U.S. has not funded these studies. They've come out of other countries, most of them. Uh, the standards have not always been as high. The funding has not been up adequate to, to permit some good studies in many cases. A number of adverse health effects of fluoride exposure are known or reasonably anticipated. That's the EPA language. These include dental fluorosis, skeletal fluorosis, increased risk of bone fracture, neurotoxicity, decreased IQ, endocrine effects, GI effects, carcinogenicity. It's, the evidence says it's either a possible carcinogen or a probable carcinogen. We cannot, the evidence does not permit us to say it's not a carcinogen. We, we know more than that. And the fluoride exposures in this country, that's the lower, the horizontal lines below it, for most age groups reach or exceed the levels at which you could expect to start seeing health effects in some members of an exposed population. And these ranges do not include other sources of water besides, other sources of fluoride besides tap water. Roughly 4.5% of the adult U.S. population has chronic kidney disease. These people do not clear fluoride out of their bodies as well, or many of them do not, so their fluoride retention is higher. They're at higher risk. We've got an increasing level of iodine deficiency, calcium deficiency in this country, which is going to make effects worse. We have already a third or more of U.S. children with dental fluorosis, a third of the adult population with arthritis, which we're told is not a normal part of aging. Four, and a half, four or five percent of the population has thyroid disorders, six percent diabetes mellitus. These numbers are increasing. In the face of uncertain evidence, it's important to act in a manner that protects public health. A precautionary approach to fluoridation would consider all the available evidence on efficacy, safety, and the alternatives. <coughs> The theme of this conference is do right, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. This is what caught my eye in a magazine ad last winter. I want to suggest that this theme applies for many issues in science and public health and certainly for the issue of water fluoridation. If our practice is not based on right information, we may end up harming those we most want to help. In order to show mercy, we need to start with truth and responsibility. Thank you. Thank you very much, Kathleen, for a stimulating discussion of an age-old issue. Um, I have a couple questions, but let me open the question to the audience in a couple minutes. Well, I suppose this is anecdotal, but 
And, and this is... This, this has been tough for a number of dentists, and that, that's why I, I quoted two, and there are others I could quote. The, the caries incidence has come down regardless of fluoridation. And those dentists that I know, it, it took me a while because do we really want to risk re taking away the benefits just because there might be some harms. But the, the evidence is that it's caries rates have come down for other reasons, and, and there are a number that have been proposed. Very few of them have been explored. Good diet is one of them. Uh, hygiene is one of them, but obviously not, not universally. And it's and there's yeah no these are things these are things that deserve further study and exploration and explanation than they have had. There are socioeconomic differences typically between kids from city from cities except for the inner cities. And, and kids from who are rural kids, we've got sugar consumption issues, soft drink consumption, uh, just a, a number of things. But the dentists that I have talked to and, and whose work I have read say it, it's real and it's not the fluoride. What's the science behind the uh, not infrequent recommendation of I personally wonder whether the exposed roots may be due in part to use of fluoridated toothpaste for a number of years, which goes against everything we're taught. Um, the, the high doses, it, if whatever beneficial effect fluoride has, it seems to be topical rather than systemic. And the idea with toothpaste or high fluoride toothpaste is to increase the topical exposure of the teeth to fluoride. But that, that's, you don't want to swallow it. Yeah, but is, is there science supporting even that? I don't know for certain. I, there's, some, there's some that claims too that's an area I haven't been able to look at in much detail. And I... I find myself concerned about the effect that the fluoride has on the gums in terms of an irritant and possibly worse effect. So. Uh, a, a lot of 
right. Exacto, but there's some good curves there, but there's a looks like there's a crying need for some uh, actual animal and uh, there, so forth research. There is. Mm -hmm. whatever they may be, is there any uh, pressure anywhere to actually perform those studies? There is some, and some of them are happening in other countries. The York Report was a pretty thorough review of all the human studies, but not the animal studies. Uh, the, as far as adverse effects goes, most of the better studies are in animal studies. You've got a big problem in human studies of overlapping exposure groups very poor characterization of the exposures. I, I, I'm interested in animal studies or mm -hmm. in, uh, uh, bacterial studies or whatever because I, I, mechanisms, you know, identifying the mechanisms. If you'd like to talk about mechanisms, we can get together later. But there's, I, I couldn't read the whole book to you in 20 minutes, 30 minutes. So. Question also, can we do proper human studies based on the duration of coordinations that occurred in our society? Um, how would you propose that study? There are, well, there's, there's an ongoing study at the University of Iowa that has been looking at fluoride exposures in great details individually in children since birth in the 1990s. These have, they've published a number of papers showing the, the, um, the dental fluorosis rates and the average rate for presence of dental fluorosis, the average fluoride intake for that group is only slightly higher than the average intake for the non-fluorosis group. So the intakes are clearly overlapping. They don't have very many low socioeconomic kids in that group. They have not published any studies on caries rates and fluoride intake. They have missed the opportunity to look at a lot of the other endpoints, some of the, like some of the IQ issues. So really it's sort of a dilemma that we don't have in oncology. We develop a treatment either by virtue of Mm -hmm. or by a good study, and then you want to try to figure out if it's either too much or you can reduce toxicity. Right. There, there's a, a recent publication out of Harvard describing an increased risk for osteosarcoma in boys who were exposed between eight, in an increased risk of osteosarcoma, bone cancer, in boys who were exposed between ages six to eight. This is the only study that has looked at age-dependent exposure. The, this was a PhD thesis that was finished in 2001. The paper was published in 2006. The major professor signed off on a dissertation in 2001, refused to co-author the publication in 2006, put a letter in the same journal that said his study, his big study was going to refute her small study. His, two and a half years later, his is not published yet and probably will not look at age-dependent exposure. Okay, well, time's so. up. Thank you very, very much for your excellent